Blog Talk Radio. edition of the Sports Tonight Show. This is going to be a great show tonight. I'd like to welcome our legends. First from Philadelphia slash New Jersey Shore and slash Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson. I'd like to introduce from the ATL, Mr. Roger Hendler. And I'd like to welcome Mr. Roy Cummings from Tampa Bay. 
Spinning the dial is always great job as always. The leader of the, the leader of the pack pack rack is Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, good evening. Good to be with you, Tommy. Good evening to you, Tommy. Hey, Tommy, how you doing? Well, I'm doing good, Roy. I mean, uh, um, I can't Roy do a hockey related question right now. What a way for well, a tip uh, of uh, yeah, we're uh, we're gearing up. We're uh, look, we're what uh, we're within a week now of the season opener. Yep. So next right. Tuesday, I'm already uh, looking forward to it. Um, hockey questions probably right now. The biggest hockey questions don't really revolve around uh, Tampa, but they do revolve around uh, the biggest one is still Jack Eichel. What's going to happen with him? Well, um, oh, yeah. And you've got some questions about Evander Kane and what's going to happen with him out in San Jose and. Right now in Philadelphia, guys, you got some questions about uh, Elaine Vigneault and uh, what's happening with that group. Uh, obviously, Robin Leonard uh, has come out and said some things that uh, could be a, a bit explosive. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's um, – I, I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think the Flyers are doing anything that any other team isn't doing with their players, trying to protect them, trying to get the most out of them, trying to help them as much as they can uh, when they have issues and things like that. Um, but – Robin Leonard's obviously um, he's become a voice uh, in the league all of a sudden, uh, making a lot of noise and you know forcing some people to kind of hold themselves accountable. So we'll see what goes on. But uh, I think the biggest thing in Philadelphia right now, Tommy, is that uh, I mean obviously Tampa's again I don't know if they're favored to win the cup uh, after losing that that third line and uh, to you know all those players dispersing elsewhere. But in Philadelphia right now, it's uh, it, 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 there's quite a there's a bit of a, an issue there. I mean, obviously there's some talk about the players not being very happy with the coaching staff a year ago. Uh, no one has said it was a toxic environment, but it wasn't a good environment. That's for sure. Um, I think this coaching staff is trying to kind of, you know, settle that down a little bit and get everybody focused on hockey. It was obviously a tough season for the Flyers. Corey Hart didn't play at his, at the level he wants to. Uh, we talked about it many times on the show here, guys, that, that was a team we thought would take a step forward last year and possibly be a playoff team. It didn't happen. Expecting that to happen again this year, but you're going to expect it to happen with in a, in a division where you know the Capitals are still very good. Obviously, the Boston Bruins are still very good. The Rangers are better. The Islanders are extremely good, and uh, you could argue that the Devils uh, have caught up at least with uh, with uh, with Philadelphia. So. It's um, it's an incredible division, and uh, I know most people are probably excited to see it uh, see it uh, face off next next weekend or next week, Tuesday and Wednesday. And I know I am. Well, I think you covered it pretty well. Uh, the one thing I can say, and uh, Roger probably as well, I have not had a chance to talk to Tom Lemay. I've read most of the stuff that you're talking about and the unrest. Uh, obviously, last year uh, there was very disappointing uh, the goaltending after they had thought they had the king of the field, and it didn't work out that way, but I think they're expecting this year that's going to bounce back. But I think you're right. It's just unrest, and uh, you got to write something until the game season gets underway. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. And, you know, I'll tell you what, you, you mentioned uh, the goaltending with Corey Hart. Uh, uh, I read something today where it appears that um, some goalie coaches, not, not with the Flyers necessarily, uh, but some people that he's uh, you know, been with before, noticed that uh, throughout most of last year uh, there were some technique issues um, that he just wasn't quite, he was just kind of off a little bit. Um, Some of it was positioning, but a lot of it was technique as well. 
And as you guys know, the way uh, NHL shooters are these days, the way they always have been, but now it seems more than ever, uh, these guys can pick corners, and they can pick a corner the size of a puck. And if you're, uh, you know, if you don't have those angles right, and if you don't have your technique down, uh, you'll get exposed. And that may have been what happened. Uh, the word now is that, uh, and I, I, I can't say that I've watched a lot of the preseason with them yet, but uh, the word now is that it appears as though Corey Hart's kind of back in order the way he should be. Um, but uh, that's something that's got to be fixed, obviously. And if they found the fix, well, that could make a that, that could go a long way towards helping that team. Uh, get to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good, you know, good uh, Roy, here's here's what's interesting about that topic about Elaine uh, Vigneault. Uh, the, accusa- the accusation was made by Las Vegas Golden Knights goalie Robin Lehner. Mm-hmm. And he su- said he knew that NHL teams were committing medical mm-hmm. malpractice. And he really uh, berated Vigneault. Now, my question is, how can he do this, honestly, when he never played for Elaine Vigneault? Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah, know, if well, you just want to start trouble. It's a great question. Yeah. It's a great, great, great question, Roger, and it is a question that probably needs to be answered. But here's the thing. The NHL is taking what he's saying seriously because these are strong accusations. You have to believe that these are accusations that basically are coming from other players that he's talked to throughout the league. Um, you know, look, but here's the other thing. Elaine Vigneault was extremely popular with his players in Vancouver. He was very popular with his players in New York. The fact that some things happened a year ago during a, a, a rough season, a season where things clearly went south for the Flyers, um, not surprised to hear that there's some, you know, unrest uh, within the locker room with the coaching staff. There were, you know, there were a couple of moves that were made and also some that weren't made that had some players wondering about, you know, where are we headed here? But to, to get back to your question about Robin Leonard, it, it sounds like he's taken it upon himself to be a spokesperson for some people. And, uh, you know, I mean, clearly he's speaking for Jack Eichel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think he's saying what a lot of people think is that Jack Eichel should be allowed to basically do what he wants with his body. And for those who won't, don't understand, Jack Eichel is arguably one of the ten or fifteen best players in the league. And right now, he's got a, a, a cervical a, a, an issue with his cervical spine, and uh, he wants to try a uh, it's not an experimental surgery, but a, a replacement surgery of that uh, disc that's uh, damaged. And basically the Flyers, the Sabres rather, want him to go and just have the standard uh, fusion surgery. Where uh, And the surgery that uh, Jack Eichel is asking to have done is a surgery that's never been done on an NHL player before. It has been done on hockey players and it's been successful. But it's never been done on an NHL player, and that's where the Sabres are balking. They're saying that their doctors are just as good as yours. Uh, we think this is the surgery you should have. Bottom line here is that the player is, you know, we're a week away from training camp. The player wants to be traded. Uh, it's probably the best result uh, because I don't think he and the team are ever going to see eye to eye on this, you know, how to correct this uh, neck, neck problem that Jack Eichel has. And as long as that's the case, the NHL is missing one of its best players, and that's sad. It's, it's unfortunate that this has taken this long. My guess is Jack Eichel is going to miss the entire season. Uh, I'll, I'll be shocked if uh, – 
a surprise. I won't be shocked, but I'll be surprised if uh, something happens that allows him to get back before the end of the year, especially when you're talking about some kind of knee or neck surgery. So it's unfortunate. But Robin Leonard obviously has taken it upon himself and probably with the okay of the players around him to be a spokesman for some players about some issues that uh, players obviously feel need to be addressed. Well, Roy, Roy, what about the you know the loss of Yanni Gord in that third line for the Lightning? It's going to to be costly because and also I saw was down the other game the other night. Brian Ellery, Brian Ellery looked like he stayed with the Flyers. It's terrible out there. I don't think yeah, there is some concern, uh, Tom, Tommy. You're right about that about Brian Elliott uh, and what oh. he can do um, for the oh. for the Lightning as a backup. Look, the good news is that they're not going to count on him to do much. Um, you would think that. Uh, much like last year, Andre Vasilevsky is going to probably play 65 games. But, you know, asking Andre Vasilevsky to play 65 games a year after he played, what, 45 or almost 50 and then went to the playoffs and played every game yes. there and every minute there, um, it's asking a lot. You know, this is there's a lot of teams that are, you know, obviously conscientious about managing their goaltenders. There are teams that don't have Andre Vasilevsky, but at the same time, you can wear a kid down pretty quickly. Um, right. So there's a concern there. I, I I wouldn't be. I'm not too worried about it just yet. Uh, again, you know, he's been playing. Brian Ellie's been playing in front of some very young players. Uh, the Lightning mm-hmm. haven't looked good at all in the preseason, as they're you know basically getting a look at uh, you know their their AHL players now, as a lot of teams are. Um, I, I think he'll be fine at the end of the day. And if he's not, um, I you know the Lightning the Lightning will certainly make not be afraid to make a move. Uh, they've got some people in the minors that they can uh, they can bring up. They've got some some bodies there. They did get one, one did get away. John Gibson uh, from uh, Tampa did end up in Florida, so that's an issue. But we'll see what happens. I think they'll be okay at the end of the day. But um, you're right about Yanni Gord, though. That's a that's a realistic problem. Uh, you know who replace? Look, they're going to pro- replace him right now with Corey Perry, which is a nice replace. You probably get a little more offense out of Corey Perry, assuming he's got you know uh, something left at the age of what 42. I mean. It's, I'm not sure he's Tom Brady, but he's uh, he's playing at a, at a pretty high level the last couple of years. So, so that's good. But it wasn't just Donnie Gord, as you know, Tommy, that they lost. They lost Blake Coleman, uh, Goodrow as well. Um, that's tough. And they, they've all gone to different places. Uh, you know, here's the thing: they probably wouldn't have Yanni, had Yanni Gord for the first what two three months anyway. He's in Seattle now, and they don't expect him to be back until December. So you probably would be dealing with this situation no matter what. The good news is that Matthew Joseph stood up uh, or stepped up for the Lightning a year ago uh, as a third-line player at times and uh, played played pretty well. So I think they've got some guys to fill that role. Are they going to fill it as well as those three? Probably not. But um, if they can fill it adequately, uh, again, if you've got Kucherov all season, Stamkos healthy, uh, some other guys uh, getting a little bit better as as the year goes on, um, you would think that this team can handle uh, the loss of those guys. They, let's hope they can. We'll see. Roy, before we run out of time, let's jump into the football for just a moment. I'd be very interested in yours as well as Rogers and Tommy's uh, feeling after the uh, the battle up there at Foxborough on Sunday night. Uh, all the hype, all the things that happened, that Brady's going to do this, Belichick's going to do that. Uh your observation, what did you think of the game and what did you think of the, the night? You know, I honestly thought that um, 
the young quarterback for the Patriots, Mac Jones, had the better night of the two quarterbacks. Uh, right. Statistically, he was better. Uh, he looked sharper. Uh, Tom seemed to be a little bit off, uh, seemed to be bothered by the wet ball a little bit more, which I was surprised. I, I don't think, I, to be honest, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that he was back in New England. And You know, I, I think the defense fooled him a few times, but he was off the mark a few times as well on passes where he had an opportunity to, you know, set his feet and get into the throw. So not the sharpest game for uh, for Tom Brady. Um, overall, though, the problem I, I think the Bucks have is that their secondary continues. And now, look, beat up. It's really beat up. They have lost uh, three starters here. Um, they're, they're really, I mean, they're, they're, they're digging into the waiver wire and pulling guys off their couch um, like Richard Sherman right now. They're fortunate guys like Richard Sherman are available. Um, but uh, that secondary has got to get better, and that pass rush has got to get better. I think the bigger issue with Tampa uh, and their football team right now is the fact that uh, the defense just isn't playing at the level it was late last year. It's playing at the level it did early last year, which wasn't very good. And um, you can't ask the offense, uh, you know, to, to, to pick up for it consistently, especially as it turns out, guys, without Rob Gronkowski. You know, it was interesting how Rob Gronkowski became, quickly became, uh, at the start of this year, uh, Tom Brady's favorite target. Um, shouldn't be surprised by that. But, you know, there was a game where Mike Evans wasn't featured much. There was a game where Chris Godwin wasn't featured much. Certainly they didn't go to the other tight ends too much. In the red zone especially, Rob Gronkowski was the target. And all of a sudden last week without Rob Gronkowski, this team was nowhere near as uh, good in the red zone. That's an adjustment that Tom Brady's got to make. If uh, Rob Gronkowski's not going to be there, he's got to start to develop a chemistry uh, inside the 20-yard line with uh, some other targets because he's got plenty of them. And he's got to start doing something with those guys. Roger? Hey, Roy. You know, here's uh, you had a good point about the Patriots' uh, defensive backfield. And yet today uh, they traded Stephon Gilmore, an all-pro, to the Panthers for a six-round pick in 2023. You know, to me, that doesn't make sense other than he was in the doghouse with Belichick. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, from what we've learned about, you know, Belichick over the years when he makes these curious moves, it's usually one of two things. A, you're in the doghouse, or B, there's some kind of a contractual situation that they don't see getting resolved. And... Bill Belichick is a guy who would rather move now than wait, uh, even if it, you know, even if I don't think he believes it would cost him a game or two, but he would rather make a move now than wait and let a, a problem simmer. I think what he fears most is that problems with players uh, who aren't happy, that he's not happy with, that aren't getting the playing time, that aren't playing at the level, whatever it may be, um, I think he, he worries more about, uh, you know, what that's going to be like inside the locker room and what, uh, what's going to fester there, you know, how is it going to spread, um, who's that disgruntled player, if he's disgruntled, uh, what's he going to say to, to his teammates, how's it going to affect those teammates. He wants to get rid of those guys in a hurry. And I think that's what that's the situation we have here. So whether it's a doghouse or a contractual situation, combination of the two, uh, just not playing at the level that he wants them to, doesn't see it coming back, he moves quickly. And I can't knock him for that. Um, 
the thing I would be concerned though is uh and look, you gave it to the other you gave him away to a team in another conference. Um but right now, uh if I'm Tampa I'm a little concerned over that because to me, uh, Carolina just got better in the secondary and that's an area as we just pointed out that Tampa needs to get better. And right now Carolina is uh is a force to be reckoned with. Uh your your friend there guys, the the new coach there He's, uh, he's put together a pretty decent football team, and he's got him playing at a pretty good level right now. You're right. Rolf done quick, a ter- ter- every place he's gone, he's done a terrific job, and, and uh, no reason to think he won't do the same thing, uh, you know, uh, with the present club because he won the first three games. And what they lose by seven uh, on Sunday, which was really a close game as well. But going back to the, uh, the game in, in Foxborough, I agree with you 100%, Roy. I, I thought it was, um, you know, Brady just didn't have it. I mean, it, whether it was the rain, whether it was, I don't know what it was, uh, but he, uh, it really wasn't a very good game uh, for, for the Buccaneers, although they won it. That's the most important thing. <laughs> you want to win games you don't play very well, and they, they did exactly that. Uh, I also agree with you about the quarterback. I thought that, you know, uh, uh, Patriots uh, really, what do you have, 19, I think 19 or 17 in a row, at one time, so the weather didn't affect him at all. Um, and now in the fourth quarter, it got a little shaky for him, and that's when the when the Bucks won the game. But uh, I, I was a little disappointed in the game itself, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was too. I think fans probably were. I think I'm amazed that he got uh, down, right, got drafted as low as he did because the Patriots lucked out with him. I really believe that. And you know, you know, it, to me, it's it's almost sinful that other NFL teams would allow uh, Bill Belichick to take a player from from Alabama. I, if, if, if I'm if I'm a if I'm a GM in this league, I'm somehow playing defense. I don't want Bill Belichick picking up the the, the guys who are most ready to play in the NFL, which are the guys from Alabama, on a right. regular basis especially in a position like quarterback. Mac Jones has done nothing but get better and better. He didn't look, you know, he looked okay in the preseason. Uh, you know, when you, you can't judge much off of that, he didn't get a lot of snaps. But then he looked okay his first game, looked a little bit better the second. He looked good in this game, as we th- just talked about. I expect this kid to continue to get better and better. He's already got a good grasp of the offense. I think he's got, you know, he's developing poise in a hurry. Um, you know, again, uh, Bill Belichick, I think, has a way, and obviously uh, – the staff there in New England has a way with quarterbacks, and uh, they know it's the most important position. They surround them very well, uh, and this kid seems to have some of the intangibles it takes to be a, a player. Let's see how it goes. We're not uh, crowning him just yet, but at the end of the day, the kid looked pretty darn good, uh, and he <laughs> seems to be getting better and better each week. And Again, it's just to me, again, it's almost sinful that Bill Belichick is allowed to take the quarterback from, Al- from Alabama. So, Roger, I'm, I'm with you because yeah, somebody else almost in a defensive position. No, no, I'm going to take that guy. I'm sure there were some teams who thought, uh-oh, I wonder if we took the right guy. There had to be, you know, I, I, just in those <clears> private <throat> moments, I wonder if there's a GM or two out there who took a quarterback who then, who now thinks, geez, I wonder if I took the right guy here. I wonder if I, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how it all works out. But uh, when Belichick ends up taking that quarterback, I think as a GM you probably got to question yourself just a little bit. Roger, I also think just to add to that, excuse me, I think uh, if you looked at the draft, 
almost everybody is agreeing with exactly what Roy had to say. Everybody said, oh, this guy, well, how can he go down to 15? How can he go to, you know, Belichick may have gotten the best quarterback of the ball. And that's exactly what Roy was saying. How do you do that? Well, that's my point. I, I don't. I didn't get it on draft night. I mean, no. I, I couldn't believe it. Because I, if you listen to Charlie Weiss on uh, in the morning uh, on Sirius NFL Radio, 10 to 12, he, uh, other than Tyler Lawrence, he was highest on Mac Jones as a quarterback. And like you said, Roy, ready for the NFL. Okay? Because he comes from Alabama. And uh, he's been coached by a guy. And let's face it, Nick and Bill are tight. Okay? There's no doubt about it. So the uh, I, just, I I'm amazed. I mean, I would have thought that there's got to be another team. Well, I'll give you one. One uh, was uh, San Francisco, okay. Uh, and and I'll I'll tell you the Eagles weren't. Uh, they're still not set uh, fully uh, with Hurts, and you know they could have gotten. So you know who knows? I'll tell you. I don't get it. I mean, how, how he ever fell that low is beyond me. Yeah, I'm with you, Roger. I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, to me, I, I know coaches are, and, and and scouts are, are, they're always enamored with you know measurables and and arm strength and things like that. And you know, you put it all together and you think, well, this kid's got the arm. He can make all the throws. Da 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 da. You know, to me, if it's a tie between an Alabama player and somebody else. I'm taking the Alabama player because he's got that pedigree. He's, he's been prepared. He's just spent the last two, three, possibly four years preparing to be an NFL player. No one prepares players for the NFL better right now than Nick Saban. And, and to me, you know, like him or love him, it's what he does. He prepares these guys for the NFL, and they are NFL ready. And to me, if there's a, you know, if it's a, if it's a toss up, um, or even if it's not, I think I'm looking twice at that Alabama guy. And um, you're right. I, I, the situation, you know, uh, you mentioned Jalen Hurts. Watching him on Sunday, you know, I'm, I'm, you see, and you know, you should expect this with a young quarterback. I mean, he hasn't even played a, a full season worth of games yet. I'm not, I don't think, maybe just barely, but, um, you know. I do see progress, but then I also see regression. You know, it's not week-to-week progress uh, with him where you can say, okay, he took a step forward this week. You know, last week I thought it was uh, at best, you know, know, kind of treading water. He may have even taken a little bit bit of a step back. Um, So these are the things that happen with young quarterbacks. But you're right, I'm not sure that Hurts is the answer in in, uh, Philadelphia. I'm not ready to say Neither not, are they. Well, that's just it. And, 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 you know, unfortunately in this league, every game is, you know, put under a microscope afterwards. And if it's, you know, the, if the outcome is not exceptional, well, uh, someone's, you know, ready to possibly move on. So, you know, I, again, I don't think they're there yet. They're not going to be there. But um, tell you what, they, need, they certainly need him to start playing a little bit better more consistently. Roy, one last point before we run out of time, and I'm very happy to see the Chicago Cubs were very, very nice. Every player they sent away at the trading deadline is now in the playoffs, and not only are they in the playoffs, but, but they're leading their team 
I mean, it's unbelievable how he they could trade that many players away and wind up with uh, every I mean, Brian or Rizzo. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. It really is, guys. Let's face it; they traded away a playoff team, you know, and it's just it's it's incredible. They traded away a playoff team. If they had kept right. that team together, you know, who knows if they, you know, look, every team goes through slumps, but you know that team was good enough to be you know, first in its division at one point this year after, you know, 65 games or so, what's, what's to make you believe that they couldn't have somehow come alive and played well enough to get into the wild card race at the end? I'm with you guys. You're right. Uh, the Cubs, they helped a lot of teams get to the playoffs this year. They helped the Red Sox. They helped the Yankees. They helped the Giants. Uh, there's a few <laughs> others out there. Uh, didn't quite get there, but at the end of the day, um, they helped a lot of teams this year, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But, um, hey, as a Cubs fan, I'm, I'm rooting for all the guys, all the teams that have Cubs on them right now, former Cubs, I should say, on them. That's right. And Rizzo tried his best to get the Yankees in. I mean, they were, the Yankees were a little lacking in so many, in so many areas that they just didn't deserve to yeah. win. But Rizzo yeah. certainly he did his quite best. couldn't do it on his own. He, he, yep, he did the best he could. And uh, he sure Roger, did. you're up. Yeah, you know, where there's a uh, a lot of controversy now is over in Jacksonville uh, with Urban Meyer uh, about the video in, in the club. And uh, I see some surveys that are out uh, about who would uh, hire him, you know, what the percentage is and everything else. It's crazy, I'll tell you. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Urban Meyer really uh, kind of stepped on it this time, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, you, you wonder where, you know, of all people, I mean, the, the head coach, well, you know, look, go do what you want to do. I get it. You know what? In the off season, But you have to set an example, uh, and, and especially during the season, and uh, this is just the wrong example. To be honest with you, I'm surprised he still has a job today, but uh, I guess part of the problem is, you know, you look and say, look, we need this guy to develop this quarterback. That may be you – know, right now, the fact Tyler Lawrence may be the only thing saving uh, Urban Meyer's job. The fact that they've invested so much in Tyler Lawrence and need him to – And so much in his salary as well, player. Roy. Well, that's – yeah, exactly. And, and that, yes, that. But, uh, but, also, but I would think you could fire him for cause here uh, as well. It might end up in court. It might end up in an arbitration, uh, you know, some kind of a battle with the coaching association. But at the end of the day, I think you can make an argument that he could be fired for cause as well. So, but I think right now, I, to be honest, I think they, they're just, you know, they're, 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 it's like, what, what are your other contract, options? Right. So you, you question oh, that. Hold on, just hold on, hold on just a second, fellas. We're out of time in this segment. Roy, once again, thank you so very, very much. And uh, Roy, have a great we'll, week. Well, yeah, Sorry. have a great week, and we'll, we'll round it all up again next week. There'll be a lot more things to talk about, and we'll have a chance to do it then. Roy, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good week. Mike Schulte, ready to go right now, and uh, executive director. No, no, no. Uh, pardon me? Mike, Mike no, no, still no, no, he's with us? Schulte is until 840. Is Mike still with us? Yes. We, we got here. about two or three people on the line Mike's here. There, I, my understanding – we got Mike. We got two Mikes, but we got Mike Sealski. And uh, Mike, as always, it's great to talk to you and to have you on. And a lot going on in Philadelphia and in, uh, in football, especially. And uh, 
uh, some controversy, and uh, but listen, welcome. It's good to good to have you with us. Thank you, thank you for having me. Our pleasure, Mike. Well, Our pleasure. What do you think uh, the? How are the Eagles going to do this year, Mike? I think they're very. I think they're young in a lot of spots, and I think they're old in some other spots, and I think that's kind of a it's kind of a hard place to be. Um, you know, there's not. I generally don't think of the NFL as being a league where you rebuild um, because you can turn over so much of your roster from one year to the next. Um, you know, a few years ago, the Eagles went from being seven and nine to being a Super Bowl team with some, you know, pretty astute changes. Um, but this year, I, I, I don't expect them to be more than a six or seven win team at best. Um, you know, we're still learning about the quarterback Jalen Hurts is and can be. Um, you've got the injuries along the offensive line, which were really, which was really supposed to be a strength for them. Um, you know, George right. Mylotta is coming back, and you know that should help. Um, but you know, you've lost Brandon Graham for the year. Um, the defense is in a bad way, um, and you've got some some tough opponents coming up here. You've got Carolina in Charlotte on Sunday. You've got you know the defending Super Bowl champions and the greatest quarterback of all time, and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers coming up. And the Carolina just got Gilmore from the pack. Did we lose Mike? No, is Mike is live. Is Mike is still live? Hello. Hello. I hear Hi, Roger, Roger, but I don't down. hear Mike. Yeah, I didn't hear. Mike, are you there? Yeah. I'm here. Oh, good. Okay. okay. Yeah, now I got you, Mike. We're, we're I got you now. Together. My giant ear hit, hit the mute button on my phone. That, that's, listen, that's okay, and you're at fencing practice for your son, right, or class? I was. I was there earlier tonight, yes. <laughs> that's great. Um, you know, when I talked to you uh, earlier in the week, you know, I was uh, perturbed, and I think the world of Angelo Cataldi, but uh, I thought, hey, you're the guest, and, and uh, I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, I know the way. And I and like I said, I think the world of them. But uh, you had a column uh, about your support of uh, Andy Reid. As I agree, uh, I'm a fan of Andy Reid. I mean, listen, everybody goes through things in life. He's been hit more than the average guy. That's the way I look at it with fam- family tragedies. Uh, that was probably the last time you'll ever see Andy at the link. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, look, let me let me just say this about the the column and the exchange with Angelo. Um, I mean, the column the column was about Andy Reid, the football coach, uh, and the fact that he, by beating the Eagles on Sunday, uh, he became the first coach in NFL history to have a hundred wins with more than one team. Uh, he had a hundred with the Eagles and a hundred with the Chiefs. Uh, the column was about him as a coach. It was not about him as a father. And the disagreement that Angelo and I had um, was over his belief that I should have used um, and I should have been using more often my form of the column to, to criticize Andy as a person and as a father. Um, and I disagree with Angelo on that. Um, as far as, uh, you know, Andy's career and, and him coaching for the last time at the link, yeah, I would be surprised if he coached again at the link. He's 63 years old. The Chiefs probably won't come back and play there for seven, eight years, uh, maybe, maybe sooner, I guess, depending on how many, if the NFL keeps expanding the number of games in a season. Um, right. But, 
Yeah, I mean, look, he's, he should be remembered very fondly here for what he did from a football standpoint. He was a terrific coach. He came in at the franchi- at the, when the franchise was at a low point in 1998-1999. They'd gone 3-13. and He took a lot of criticism for drafting Donovan McNabb over Ricky Williams. He got them to five championship games. He got them to a Super Bowl. Uh, he turned them into a consistent winner. And, you know, he's been, been even better in Kansas City. He's a surefire Hall of Fame coach. Um, and that's how I've evaluated him as, as a coach. Not, I haven't evaluated him as a human being, and I certainly wouldn't use what he's uh, experienced in his life as a father, uh, as a club, to, to beat him with. Yeah, t- totally I don't, agree. Uh, Roger explained to me exactly what happened. Uh, obviously, I couldn't hear the show because I'm outside the range, but I, I don't understand how you got from talking about the situation with the Eagles and to uh, Donnybrook about <laughs> – Andy Reid, I mean, uh, that, that just doesn't make much sense to me. I don't know why that happened. Well, I was, I mean, I was asked to come on before I wrote the column. I was at the Eagles game on Sunday, Don, and wrote the column. And um, that was it. Once, he, once Angelo read the column, um, that was what he wanted to talk about. And okay. away we were. Well, Roger? and, you know, I agree totally, uh, Mike, about Andy, about his, uh, uh, his coaching career. And I think what's interesting is they took a, tweeters, a Twitter survey, I think it was today, 68% of the respondees all are supporting Andy Reid as the, uh, the best coach. And the one I couldn't get, uh, I didn't understand, was Ray Rhodes getting 2%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it, it, speaks, that speaks, it speaks to how many good coaches there have ever been in Eagles history, I guess. Well, that's right. I, I was wondering where uh, Rich Kotite was on that list, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Might be higher up than you, Mike, Mike, you did go 10 right. or 6 a couple of years. Right. Let, let, me, let me ask you this, Mike. What is, what is your evaluation right now? Because following a game on NBC uh, Sports Philadelphia, uh, I saw the postgame show, and uh, what they score five consecutive times, I mean, five or six consecutive times, uh, yeah, where, where does the defense stand? And where does the Philadelphia Eagles stand as a team as you see it right now? Well, the defense isn't very good. Um, you know, and Jonathan Gannon is is young, first-year defensive coordinator who I think is trying to figure out what he has and is trying to make do um, with a unit that is kind of short on talent in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, right. we've already discussed that it lost Brandon Graham, and Brandon is an excellent player. Uh, Fletcher Cox is, is getting older and not as, is not as productive nor as dominant, anywhere near as dominant as he once was, say, in 2018, 2019. Um, the linebackers aren't very good. You paid a lot of money to Darius Slay to be a, you know, a shutdown corner, and um, it's not as if teams are afraid to throw at Darius Slay. Um, and the secondary is just, eh. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see what the defense does well, and I don't see that Gannon – at least right now, is able to kind of scheme a way around it. Um, so, you know, they faced two very good offenses, well, one great offense and one very good offense in the Chiefs and the Cowboys, and those teams lit them up. And, you know, the other thing is it's not a very – it's not particularly physical defense outside of Javon Hargrave. Um, you know, they're not going to – they're not striking fear in anybody's hearts, and I know that's the way the league has trended toward in the last several years, but um, – they just don't do a whole lot well from their scheme 
the cover two system that they play uh, to the talent out there. And so I think it's going to be a long year. I think people are just going to have to – you take the games where you can see them. Devontae Smith has a good game and shows progress. Jalen Hurts shows progress. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell looks like a keeper. Uh, you can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, and you just – you hope that, you know, the team improves. That, that'll be the telltale thing, guys. If this team continues to play hard and improve over the course of the season for Nick Sirianni, then, then that's about as encouraging a sign as you can hope for. Roger? Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, I was thinking about uh, the during Andy's tenure, when you look at the defensive backs, uh, when you had Troy and Bobby Taylor, and then you had uh, Sheldon, uh, uh, you know, uh, come up and lead us. And, uh, I mean, it, it, and then you had uh, Brian Dawkins for uh, safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, what difference in the caliber of those that those defensive backfields versus what's there today? I mean, night and day. Yeah, I mean, Andy. Look on defense. Andy inherited a lot of talent, and he was smart in that he hired Jim Johnson, who, you know, was a tremendous defensive coordinator who knew how to, you know, change Brian Dawkins' role. To, you know, make him more than just the average safety. Uh, they had Jeremiah Trotter at linebacker. They had Hugh Douglas at defensive end. They drafted Corey Simon a year into Andy's tenure. Um, they had depth all over the place. You mentioned the cornerbacks, Roger. Um, so th- there was a depth on defense that even though that first year that team went 5-11, and 11, you could see things were trending upwards um, as long as Donovan McNabb improved the quarterback, and he did. Um, this is different. You know, there isn't anybody on defense now where you look at it and go, oh, other than Hargraves, where you go, oh, that guy's dominant or that guy can turn out to be something. There's just a lot of blah there. And, you know, when you don't pay attention to that side of the ball as much as you ought to, sometimes this happens, and, and that's where they're at. Let me ask you this question because uh, Roger and I both got emails about what's going to happen at the, at WIP and the fact that Cindy's going to come back, which is terrific news. Uh, but also she sent the email out, uh, I guess, Monday, uh, you know, saying what happened to the run, what happened to the run, what happened to the run. <laughs> and, and I guess sort of course, <laughs> I guess sort of, I mean, if there was anything weakness shown last year, uh, it was certainly the, the ability to stop the run. And uh, the Eagles sort of lost track, I guess, of that. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't stop the run particularly well, and they don't run the ball often. It was interesting. Um, uh, the uh, L.A. Chargers head coach, Brandon Staley, a uh, new head coach, uh, made some interesting comments today. Somebody asked him about running the ball, and he said the point of running the football kind of gets lost sometimes in modern football. It's, the reason you run the ball is not to keep a defense off balance. It's not to run when you, because they think you're going to throw it. Part of the reason you run the ball is to force the other defense to be physical because on a passing play, the defense doesn't necessarily have to tackle anyone unless you complete the pass, and then you have to tackle the wide receiver or the tight end or the running back who caught the ball. But when you run the ball, you are forcing all 11 players on the defense to be part of a tackle, and that tests their physical capability. And that's why you run the ball. It is to and challenge the other defense, the defense's toughness. And that's something that the Eagles don't do very often. They don't challenge the toughness of opposing defenses. Now, they're playing pretty well. You know, they've played well against bad defenses, and they've played, you know, not so well against 
decent defenses. Um, so, you know, I, I'm curious to see if, if they continue to try to, you know, funnel everything to Jalen Hurts. He's, he's in charge of a whole lot of the offense. He's under center every play. He's throwing a lot. He's their leading rusher. Um, they're going to grind this guy, pardon me, in the dust if they're not careful because they're just using him so much. Um, so we'll see. You know, that I'm impressed with Brandon Staley, as the coach of the Chargers, Mike. And I'll yes. tell you, I, the other night, I, he was like, what, coaching Division Three defensive uh, coordinator, uh, what, John Marshall or John Carroll, uh, like five yep. years ago. Carroll, That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he he he's he's had a rapid rise, and sometimes sometimes those rapid rises are are full of gold, and sometimes they're because the guy is really sharp, and he strikes me as being really really sharp. And uh, they've got a great young quarterback in Justin Herbert, um, and I think uh, you know they, they could be a team to watch out for 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 a little while here. Mike, I agree with your running game theory one hundred percent. However, uh, I amend that with a little caveat saying. If you're in the last six minutes of the game and you have a lead, you better be able to run the football. If you can't sure. run the football, you're in a lot of trouble. So to me, uh, I think you have to establish a continuity with the running game, not just to wait for the last six minutes, but to make sure that your team can run the football. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the sport has changed so much, Don, over over the last quarter century. Um, and teams, you know, it's become so much easier to throw the ball um, you can't touch the quarterback. You can't create right. a wide receiver going over the middle. Um, you know, the, generally speaking, passing the ball leads to quicker scores, faster drives, longer touchdowns, that sort of thing. The league has encouraged all of that since going back to the late 1970s. Um, so, you know, you, you can pretty much track the rise of the popularity of football based on all those changes and trends um, over the last, basically the last 43 years. Um, so, uh, you know, I think running the ball is very valuable and very important too. And I don't think you can go through a game like the Eagles went through against the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago, where you only hand the ball off three times to your running backs. Um, but there is a, there's, there's a way to go about this. And, you know, given the backs that they have, they're not going to win pounding the ball into the line against anybody, not with Miles Sanders, not with Kenneth Gainwell, not with Boston Scott, if they were to activate him. They just don't have the kind of personnel to be able to play that way. Roger? Yeah, and the, I, I wonder whether they'll pick anybody up uh, off the waiver wire. Uh, you know, I would have thought that that uh, Stephon Gilmore would have been a good acquisition that the uh, Panthers got uh, from the Packers. They don't, they don't have the, the cap space. They don't have the cap space. Oh, they don't have any that. cap space. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, that's so. That's going to tie things up. I'll tell you. The uh, yeah, I want to get to the Phillies uh, for a second before you go. And uh, I mm-hmm. just read that uh, uh, the they're looking, the team's looking for depth, and and that Bryce Harper really criticized the team for uh, lack of uh, having uh, players available coming out of the minor leagues. Well, we've mm-hmm. known that for like five years, haven't we? We've known it for longer than that. I mean, it's been a problem going back to when they were winning the division every year. Um, you know, it got to the point where in 2011, 2012, people were starting to notice that, you know, the Phillies organization was kind of like, um, you know, a hollow Easter egg. You know, you paint the outside of it and it looks beautiful in all these colors, 
because you have Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee and Jimmy Rollins and this great team on the outside, but inside it's hollow, and it's been hollow ever since. Um, you know, their farm system has been failing for the better part of a decade and a half. And, you know, they took a step backward to try to fix it. They weren't able to fix it. They went too heavy into analytics and and kind of ignored baseball skills and, you know, and they're trying to find a balance here and it's going to take a while. It's going to, and, you know, Harper's right. Um, And I think that, you know, if John Middleton wants to fix this problem, it may come down to having him having to spend out the yin yang over the next three years to acquire talent that's already at the major league level that can help them so that it buys the organization time, hopefully, to restock the farm system because there isn't a whole lot there now. Um, they, ha- they had a long time to try to replenish it, and they failed. And um, so, you know, I don't know where you go from here other than spending a lot of money now um, to try to tide you over until you can rebuild the system. Mike, I, I agree with you 100%. They've been talking about, uh, in fact, our good friend Billy Warren Delby on later sites has been talking about you know, the minor league system for so long and how depleted it is to all kinds of talent. But uh, my theory has always been and will continue to be, it's great to have Harper. He's an outstanding player, both offensively and defensively. But to me, you can't spend $300 million on one player. I mean, you're not going to win anything with one guy. And look at the money that the teams have spent, not just the Phillies, but other teams as well that spent that kind of money on one player. And it just doesn't seem to work out as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I don't think you have a chance to win when you do that. Or football either. When you give a quarterback all that money, then you don't have anybody to pay the linemen. <laughs> well, football is a little, a little different in that you've got the, sal- the hard salary cap. Baseball comes right. in with luxury tax and whether an owner is willing to pay it. And, you know, they're not – in baseball, at least, it's not mutually exclusive, right? Like you can, you can go pay a player a whole lot of money and then still develop – great young players. I mean, that's what the Dodgers do. I mean, the Dodgers will outspend anybody, but they also know how to develop talent. Um, and that's what makes for a great organization. And the Phillies scouts, can spend money scouts, like anybody scouts. else. But yeah, scouts, scouts. Yeah, but they, scouts, research, analytics, it's all of it. It's knowing what to look for. It's knowing how to use numbers. It's all of those things. And, you know, the, for the Phillies, the pendulum keeps swinging too far one way or the other. It's too much to the eye test. It was too much to the numbers. They got to find that right kind of balance. Mike, you know, I want to thank you so much for this segment, uh, Roger. We got a dump on this segment. Billy Wendell yeah. was all set, ready to go. But yeah. Mike, I want to thank you so very much. And I hope that uh, you'll join us every now and then. We don't overwork you, but I'd mean, like to have you join us once in a while and sort of kick it around, and see how things are going. I'd appreciate that, Don. Thank you very much. Thanks, Roger. Mike, thanks so much. Have a great week. Take care. God bless. All right. Bye bye. Our right. pleasure. Next up, Billy Warndell, and uh, we mentioned Billy a second ago, and uh, nobody follows the Philadelphia sports scene better and uh, dictates what's happening in the world of sports better than Billy Warndell. And, Billy, great to have you with us again, and I guess you could pretty much follow up on exactly what Mike was saying. Uh, you've been talking about it for two or three years, scouting, minor league system, minor league development from a management standpoint. They don't have any of those things. Not at all, Don, and, and it really costs you in the long run. If you can't be developing a player, a player and a half every couple of years, your system is not doing you justice. And the Phillies have really, you know, they had premium picks, Mickey Moniak, Cornelius Randolph. You get through the list of guys who were top-rated players coming out, 
and they have not been developed. And is it the approach that they have in the minor league system? Do these guys suddenly become bad players after they were drafted? Uh, you look at Scott Kingley. Look what they've done to him. I mean, he was yeah. got, the Phillies paid him a $30 million because they wanted to control his rights. This guy may not be ever play another uh, inning for the Philadelphia Phillies because they screwed up his string. This guy is not a home run hitter. He's a line drive hitter. Not everybody's cast to be a home run hitter. Three, four, five hitters in a lineup are home run hitters. The top of the order, they've got to get on, set the table. And the Phillies do not have that. I just saw Dave Dombrowski said we had the worst leadoff percentage in, in the National League this year. You're not going to win that way. You're going to be no. behind the eight ball. So, I mean, if you continue to get down this path of, you know, player evaluations where you depend so much on analytics and launch angle and velocity off the bat, look, a home run that goes 400 feet, I don't care if it's a long fly ball or if it just jumps out of the ballpark, it's a home run, all right? That's the way I look at it. And it's a sad commentary when you depend on all this launch angle and velocity off the bat. I think you, get, you can use numbers. They're very important. They've been used for many, many years in baseball. But you can't just dictate to a manager or the player that this is the way we're going to play the game because they're not used to that. Roger? Hey, Bill, you know, Klintak and McPhail, five years uh, at the helm of the Phillies and have really nothing to show for it except spending a lot of money. Uh, and they're, they're both still in the employ, aren't they, as of today? Of the, of the team. Yeah, I guess because I they want to keep their – Well, they, they have no input whatsoever, Roger. They have about as much input as the man – who cleans the bathrooms, all right, basically. Uh, they have no input. They, they, they have no input whatsoever. So, I, I mean, that, that's a that's a dead issue in my opinion. But you're right. They did well, destroy this franchise. They did destroy it. They, they certainly did, and uh, that's my point. But you have and, to put uh, the blame – you have to put the blame on one man, John Middleton. John he yeah. He decided he wanted to – be all in on analytics, spent $14 million to, uh, to build up their analytics department, and what does he have to show for it? They haven't made the playoffs. Only the Seattle Mariners have missed out on the playoffs more years than the Phillies. That's an indictment wow. of your organization. Right. Bill, two-part question you- for you. One, uh, it seems to be, uh, and it was very, very interesting following the game last night, that the New York media is 100% behind Aaron Boone. His contract is up. They asked him about it on the post-game show, and, and he said he sort of wants to be back with the New York Yankees, but he's had no assurances so far. But every, every article you read in all the papers are 100% behind Boone. Now, you know better than I because you're in Philadelphia every day. I don't see where the Philadelphia press or the Philadelphia fans or the Philadelphia radio stations have any interest and having Joe Girardi continue as manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, am I right or wrong? Well, well, it, it, look, they're indifferent about Joe Girardi because I think that they become indifferent because this franchise has really turned off a lot of people. And Joe Girardi, look, his bullpen was a disaster. Back end of his rotation was a disaster. Center field was unsettled. 
left field, got some production out, out of McCutcheon, but he was a very streaky hitter. D.D. Gregorius uh, did not live up to the two-year, $28 million deal. He was hurt, the whole deal. You, you have a, a hole at third base. They hope to fix it with Bohm. Uh, Reese Hoskins is a D.H. Uh, Segura is probably a, a more of a six or seventh place hitter in the lineup. I mean, Rio Muto, can he hold up behind the plate 115, 120 games next year going forward? There's so many question marks about this team. I mean, Joe Girardi is is in a very difficult situation. Roger? Yeah, because they're not give him an extension, are they, Bill? Uh, well, Girardi has another year left on his contract. Correct. Yeah, but I mean, he's only they're not going to give him an extension after over uh, after next year. No, no, no. They want to see what happens. And remember, he was not hired by Dombrowski. You always have to factor right. that in the equation. All right? Dombrowski might yeah. have his eye on one of his guys. All right? That's the way sports works. We want to get our own guy in our in our organization. Well, I'll tell you, getting two, back two, four, five years ago. Go ahead, Roger. I, I, I have always thought that where they made the biggest mistake was not – putting Dusty Watham in his manager from Lehigh Valley because I went up there a number of times to see that team. That was when uh, Hoskins was playing and uh, what was it? Dylan, uh, the outfielder, they had, you know, they were double uh, big home run hitters and, uh, and I, a couple of the other guys. And I just thought Dusty Watham was the perfect guy. And I related to Brian Schnitaker with the Braves who was in the same picture, uh, situation uh, with Gwinnett, and they promoted him. And I happen to think he's an outstanding manager. Of course, I get to see a lot of Braves games. but uh, And they, they did not perform up to what the ex- expectations. But I think they're a, the, the best team that was in the National League East by far. What do you think about the Dusty Watham uh, situation? I think Dusty will eventually get an opportunity to manage in the big leagues. But, again, remember, are you really the manager or are you just getting the information from the front office who to play, what to play, where to do it, what, what, what yeah, situation? Right. That, that's the problem. The managers today are puppets on a string. You know, the managers in the old days, they had the information, but they would go by a gut feel, all right? That's what you have to do. You have, you have to say, I'm going to go with this guy tonight because I just have a feeling but the analytics all dictate this to most of the managers around baseball, and that's unfortunate. Look at Tony LaRusso and Dusty Baker, 72 years old Dusty, LaRusso 77. And they're old school managers, and both those teams are in the postseason. Yeah, good point. Two two point questions for you, Billy, and and that is this: a reason I brought up Joe Girardi because I'm a, as you well know, I'm a big Joe Girardi fan. I I think he's one of the best managers in baseball. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, my opinion doesn't be very much. But uh, if they, if the New York Mets had settled on a, a president of their club, which they haven't been able to do, Theo Epstein today, uh, according to the people of Baltimore, we're going to have somebody on from Baltimore a little later in the program, uh, has turned down the Mets. He doesn't want to be the president of the New York Mets for whatever reason. But my theory would have been if Epstein were somebody that has that caliber of leadership, uh, I would have done what uh, what the Mets did, uh, you know, back in the 50s. 
uh, I would have traded. Joe's got one year on the contract. I would have traded uh, either money or players, and I would have got Joe Girardi to manage the Mets. He's a New Yorker. He knows all about New York. He's a great ma- a great uh, manager in my view. I'd make a trade if I were the Phillies. I don't know whether the Mets would ever think about it, but they did it one time. And if you look back, the last time a manager was traded for was, uh, you know, Bill Dennehy went for $100,000 to Washington for no, Gil no, Hodges. No, no, no. The, the last man, the, the one of the, maybe that was one of the guys, but the other was Jimmy Dykes and Joe Gordon, Cleveland. Well, that was, well, yeah, but that was way back in the 40s, really. Right, right, right. Now, now this happened, this 50s. happens. Yeah, this, the, the yeah. This, I remember when the the, the 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 Mets made that move for Gil Hodges. Of course, Gil was finished as a player by that time. Oh yeah, he was a manager right. of war, right. in Washington. Right, right. But I'm saying that you know, uh, again, they, they decided, hey, we we want Gil Hodges to come back to New York, and it was a great move because he led him to the championship. Absolutely, and I think Joe Girardi would do the same thing. However, this the situation is totally different. Because the Mets don't have a, a, a president or general manager or anything uh, right now, so they wouldn't be in a position to make that kind of move. But if, uh, and as I say, Epstein has already turned them down, uh, regardless of the money. Uh, so I think the Mets are in the same situation the Phillies are, maybe even worse, because they've gone now uh, how many times trying to get a, a, a president, trying to get a general manager, trying to get farm systems straight down. They're worse than the Phillies are, but they got a lot better players. They do have a lot better players, but all their players are on the injured list. The Grom get through the litany of guys. Syndergaard. I mean, if they can keep everybody healthy for 162 games, they could run away with the division. Exactly. You're right. Exactly. Well, what about Alderson? I mean, isn't he president of the Mets? He's a president. They're looking for a general manager, Roger. Yeah. Okay. They want somebody to run. They want somebody to. He's a more of a financial guy. He doesn't really. Although he's been the guy that's been hiring the, the general manager and hiring the ten, technically the uh, the president who they got from Chicago who got in all the trouble. I mean, Olerson to me. I mean, he may have been back through the years. He may have been a a very solid baseball guy down in Houston. Every he place was. he went, he was. But I yeah. think I don't think he's a. I don't think he's the guy. If I were. Colin in New York right now, Sandy Alderson would not be the guy I'd have pick up my talent, uh, pick up my office management. Well, I, 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 I know that when Sandy Alderson was in San Diego and when he let Bruce Bochy walk because he didn't right, pay him exactly. X amount of dollars, Bruce Bochy won three championships with inferior talent with the San Francisco Giants. Inferior talent. Because he knew how to Leading use the candidate for the hole. Mets, Billy. Leading candidate for the Mets right now, Bochi. Well, he should be. I mean, you got you got Bochi, you got John Farrell, you got uh, John Gibbons, you got Bob uh, Melvin, and you got uh, who's the other guy? I can't think who. Oh, Bochi. Third of five but, guys. Uh, Bruce Bochi one time in the Padres when Paul De Podesta. Alderson's right-hand man brought the lineup down. He was very nice, courteous. He gave him the lineup. He said, this is who we want to play tonight. And so Bochy let him walk out of the office, and he turned to me and said, Philly Billy, I, I run a lineup by gut feel. 
He crumpled up the right. lineup and threw it in the waste can. And that was that led to his demise as the Padre manager. I have the utmost respect for Bruce Bochy. I've spoken to him many, many times. He's just a quality, quality guy, first ballot Hall of Famer. But remember, when you talk about Hall of Famers, Warren Spahn once made this famous statement. He said, I knew Casey Stengel before and after he was a genius. Before with the Boston Braves, we couldn't get off the bus. And with the New York Mets, we couldn't find the stadium. He said, well, with the Yankees, with all that talent, he was a Hall of Fame manager. Hey, how about how about San Francisco? The manager of the year this year. You can bet your money on it. Won more games than anybody in baseball, and they ran them out of Philadelphia. And it wasn't because he couldn't manage; it's because they didn't have any players. Right? No, right, he couldn't right. manage that, either. Well, again, how do you win 105 games this year if he right, couldn't manage? Every everything is being dictated from upstairs. Rogers, right? That's the thing. I mean, the old school manager that we know, they, they don't work on, on like they used to. Now, La Russa and Dusty Baker, they will be old school managers because that's the way they, right. they grew up in the game. But these new right. guys, they're, everything's dictated from upstairs. And that's unfortunate. I think Capital could be a good manager. But they, they keep these guys' hands tied. Remember, the manager's not as important as he once was. All right? The manager has all these people, these geeks in their office, you know, looking, spewing out numbers and all that stuff, and they bring them down. They said, this is the guys who want you to play tonight because the numbers. Do you think Bochy will come back? I had Bochy on my radio show a couple months ago. You know, look, money is – if they overwhelm him with money, say if they offer him 5 or $6 million for three years, I think you'd have to think about it long and hard, maybe even more. Roger? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think Bochy's a money guy. Oh, you don't think he's a money guy? No, but, you know, he enjoys managing. Remember, he, he managed the French national team, and he enjoyed that before COVID broke out. And he was excited about being back on the field. Well, there you go, you know. They, well, the, uh, getting back to the uh, Braves for a second, uh, see, I think that uh, Brian Snedeker's the old-fashioned manager with some input of analytics. But I, I really believe, you know, I don't see him looking at computer sheets during the game. Uh, you know, he sits there, he's keeping an eye, and he's got talent. And he, and he obviously lost some, you know, with injuries this year, too. But uh, – yeah, what do you think about him as a manager, Bill? He's done a very good job. When you lose your top player, Acuna, and keep the team together, but of course his general manager went out and got Duval, Soler. I mean, he really exactly gave, uh, exactly Pedersen. He went out and got those three outfielders, that, and he solidified the team. Well, they had, the, they had they uh, had prospects to trade. Too, to get those players. exactly that's the right again that that's the name yeah. of the game you know if you don't prospect to trade you're you're up uh the blank uh click without a yeah. paddle you know Pretty, that yeah you're right yeah. well billy everybody makes mistakes look what woodlock uh you know with the with the red sox i mean woodlock uh was with the yankee organization he had to have tommy john surgery they didn't protect him 
He, he was picked up by the Red Sox, and he led the he led the American League in in the ERA from the bullpen. I mean, you, you got to have scouts that know what they're doing, and that's that's exactly what happened there. They they picked out a guy who had a chance to had great talent. Saw him playing Trent when he played for the Yankees. I saw him playing Trent. I didn't see him in Florida, but I saw him at Trent, and he was the most highly rated pitcher they had in the minor leagues when he was at Trenton at double A. And of course you had the Tommy John surgery and everybody jumped off him right there. Well, that's the thing. We've, there's been a lot of stories like that where one organization gives up on a guy and bingo, he reemerges with another organization. Roger. I'll tell you, Bill, I was glad to see uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez um, get the pitch in that last uh, game. Hopefully, he's going to be able to come back next year. It was hard to believe he hadn't pitched in like two years, right? And yep. I can remember I was at the Philly airport, and there was a guy there picking him up, you know, how they have a uh, the minor leagues. And Love he it. was coming. They sent him from Portland uh, down to uh, be picked oh, up uh, to go to, I think it was in Portland, to go to the Lehigh Valley, and then within a couple of weeks, he was with the Phillies, and he was doing great. And then he had uh, the arm trouble. So, but I, uh, I know you're a baseball guy. Uh, did did you get to see how he looked in that one, uh, one well, inning? You, you can't day? really get an evaluation after one game, Roger. Uh, I mean, it'd be absurd. No, He's got to be able to hold up. You have to be able to hold up. Now he'll probably play winter ball, I would think. And they'll watch him very closely, but I would think he would want to get some innings in, in winter ball and then come back to spring training ready to go. Billy, we're just yeah. out of time in this segment. A one quiet, one word answer. Has Buck Showalter got a chance to come back after the way these old timers are, you know, doing a great job in, in 2021? Has Buck Showalter got a shot? We'll call it a night. Anything's possible, Don. Anything's possible in this day and age. Maybe the pendulum is going to swing back to the experienced manager rather than these guys. Look, they blew the manager out at San Diego today, Tingler, who never even sniffed the big leagues. I mean, at least Kevin <laughs> Cash was a backup catcher in the big leagues. I mean, that that's the key. I mean, anything's possible. I mean, I know Buck can get a team. He's the modern-day Gene Mock. He can get a team to a certain level, and then you have to, have to turn the reins over to somebody else. Well, we'll Bill, see what happens, Billy. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us. And uh, we'll we'll do it all over again in a few weeks. Don. Let me ask right. him one Bye -bye, question. guys. Go ahead. I wanted to ask him if the 76ers will ever get straightened out. <laughs> will ever get straightened out. Uh, do we have about five hours to talk about it, Roger? <laughs> I don't think Simmons is going to be back there that quickly, Billy. No. Uh, did the care, process Bill. really Thanks work? Did the process week. work? The process is blown yeah. up in their face. The... Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. Always appreciate it. Have a good night. All right. We're going we're gonna to switch back over to football. We spent a lot of time talking earlier about football. The Z, Mike Schulte, uh, is uh, on the line right now to follow up Billy Werndell, Director of Communications for the Outback Bowl, and, of course, uh, Raymond J Stadium and uh, how they put that game on on January 1st. We talk about it week after week, uh, 
you know, with Mike Schulte, and, and he follows all the football. And you had another upset week, Mike. Uh, Notre Dame, Cincinnati added a big five, made a big run. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I don't know if that was an upset. Um, it, it was uh, certainly a good game, and, um, you know, I think there was a lot of folks picking that to go, to go either way. Um, Cincinnati's, you know, got a good team. They've they got a real good team. And, um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of exciting uh, games uh, every week, right? Um, you know, uh, you had the Kentucky uh, hanging on to beat Florida. Uh, right. For only the, I think the first, the first time – They've won at home against Florida since uh, I think 1986, and uh, uh, just uh, a lot of you know quite a few surprises. I think uh, I think I counted about eight, uh, at least eight teams out of the top 20 that uh, that went down last weekend. So that just shows mm-hmm. you how much parity there is uh, in college football right now, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that always makes good thing about that. It, at least in my perspective, is that it makes for a really exciting season because you just never know what's going to happen each week. That's right. Is Tommy still with us, or did Tommy – I know he was out of the weather. Go ahead, Tommy. Mike, how you doing? He's at Outback eating something, eating something, (laughs) doing onion or something. (laughs) Mike, I know you're both coming up shortly. It's October already. How can people, the general public, purchase those special plans you offer, and how can they get tickets right now? Because – it's gonna go. It's gonna go fast by coming December. How can people get there? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, yeah. Time is flying by fast here. We're we're already well. This weekend will be I think up, I think officially halfway through the college season, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, the Outback Bowl uh, is coming up uh, January first, uh, Raymond James Stadium. Uh, our tickets are going on sale at Ticketmaster <laughs> on Tuesday. So this next Tuesday, the twelfth, uh, they'll be on sale at Ticketmaster. We have some uh, uh, some member packages, sort of VIP packages, if you will, uh, that are uh, you can buy through the bowl office directly, um, and uh, you know you get get really good seats, and you can have the rights to renew those fees each year. Um, and the, our VIP club packages are club seats uh, that and invitations to some of our VIP events uh, that are taking place. So uh, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good options for folks. Uh, who just enjoy college football and and uh, want to see a great great matchup on New Year's Day to to kick off the you know, 2022. So uh, hopefully uh, uh, we'll uh, we're expecting we could have or, you know right now the season's shaping up. So we're going to have a have a really good matchup from the SEC and the Big Ten. Roger, I stayed away from I stayed away from Georgia because I know you want to jump on Georgia right at the top. Well, you're exactly right, and I, I got to tell you, Mike, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the real national championship is going to be the SEC championship, if it's Georgia and Alabama. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, it, it could be. I mean, uh, it, that happened uh, uh, some years ago. Uh, I can't remember how uh, they all run together now, but there was not too distant uh, time ago, uh, I remember that happening, and I think I mentioned it last week. I mean, they had the Georgia and Alabama, in fact, in that game, and uh, Alabama just uh, squeaked it out, held on. Georgia was inside the 10-yard line uh, with the time clicking down and no timeouts left. And they remember they threw a pass. It was supposed to be the end zone, but somebody uh, knocked it up and you know tipped it at the line, 
and it ended up going to uh, a, a secondary receiver um, short of the goal line. And, you know, it was one of those things where he sort of just reacted because it came to him, so he caught it. And, but then he got, you know, he couldn't make it out of bounds to stop the clock, and um, and they ended up losing the game. And, and uh, Alabama went on, I think, to beat Oklahoma soundly in the uh, in the Orange Bowl for the national championship. And, uh, and and it was just sort of like you know, like you were saying, it was sort of like, well, the real national championship was the SEC championship game. So we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of ball to be played still, and a lot of folks are going to be out for both of those guys. You know, uh, some guys, you know, some teams have played Alabama pretty pretty good so far, and and uh, you know, uh, Georgia's got to go through. Uh, they got Auburn this week, uh, which is a, always a huge rivalry game. Um, and, um, I think one, I think, I think the longest rivalry game, uh, in, uh, in, uh, maybe college football or certainly in the SEC. Um, and then they've got to play Georgia in a couple of weeks and, or uh, Florida in a couple of weeks. So Jacksonville, so they, you know, there, there's a lot of football to be played, but, uh, certainly if you were to chart it up right now, um, that's going to be one heck of a game if these guys both, uh, come in there undefeated. I'll tell you, I think their Texas-Oklahoma game is going to be a good game, too, uh, because uh, Texas had their, you know, getting buried by Arkansas, then Arkansas was buried uh, last week, so that was a little bit of a surprise. We were all looking at Arkansas as the uh, improvements that they had made over the last couple of years. And uh, so what's your top pick this weekend? What do you you think is going to be the biggest upset of the weekend? Oh, biggest upset. Uh, I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I, I'll tell you, there's two, two games, real close game or games that I'm going to be looking at besides the Georgia-Auburn. Uh, and, again, I think Georgia, you know, is certainly, a, you know, the better team on paper. But but uh, Auburn sort of hangs in there, and they, they play everybody tough, and that is such a big rivalry game. You never know. You know, we, we always say, you know, when you're, when you're talking about these big rivalry games, you almost throw out the record sometimes because, you know, there's so much intensity and emotion around the game that, that right. things happen in those games that you don't, don't happen normally. But a couple, a couple of key games this week, uh, uh, Penn state at Iowa, I think is going to be a real interesting game and a really good game. Um, Iowa is really hard to beat um, at home. Um, and, uh, and a lot of big 10 teams have come in there uh, expecting to win uh, and 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 gone away with a loss. So um, these two teams, I think, are are, are pretty equal, and um, I think that's going to be a really good game to watch. And a, and and it's going to be very interesting who comes out ahead on that one. And I'll tell you, a, a sort of a surprise game that I'm I'm looking at, I'm interested in looking at, is Wisconsin and Illinois. Um, you know, uh, both teams struggling this year. Of course, Illinois is sort of on their way back. Uh, trying to get on their way back with Brett Bielema up there, who's a fantastic coach. Um, and uh, and Wisconsin's been struggling the last few weeks, but they've also played some really good teams. Um, and, and the question there is their their quarterback, uh, Merch, got banged up last week, so he's questionable this week. But, but if he plays, it, it's going to be interesting because Wisconsin has the number one defense in, in college football uh, against the run right now. Um, and uh, but Illinois has a very very strong running attack, um, so that's just going to be a really interesting game. That I'd like to sort of see what happens there to see 
um, you know, which which of those teams can can maybe uh, get a, a a win in their column and maybe you know start back on the on the positive track for the rest of the season. Roger, you're up. Yeah, Mike, I wanted to get back to uh, Auburn. Uh, I don't know how this game's going to uh, work out. All I can tell you is that uh, I see Georgia every week, and their defense is, is, in my opinion, better than Alabama's. But that's uh, – and we'll, only time will tell. But the thing that concerns me about Auburn is they almost lost two weeks ago to Georgia State. And and Georgia yeah. State was ahead in that game because that's the night I was at the Georgia Tech North Carolina game, and we were watching that uh, closely because you talk about a upset of the year that would have been Georgia State uh, if they had won that game because uh, when I lived here before Bill Curry was the first coach at Georgia State when they started football and they needed somebody that's right of. Uh, Silk and you know Hall of Fame uh, credentials uh, to get them going, and we honored him at the Football Foundation in Atlanta as the uh, uh, man, you know, man of the year, so to speak. But uh, sure, sure. just a wonderful coach and individual. But what did you think about the, that? Almost uh, Georgia State's upset. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, that that was that was a tough one for him. I, I I can't help but think that they might they might have just been uh, uh, sort of looking past that game. Um, you know they you know they started the year off you know playing at uh, Penn State uh, during a whiteout in a, just an incredible game, very very high intensity, high emotion. Um, and and then of course you know they they had you know LSU coming up on the schedule and all that. I, I you know like I said sometimes you just have a team that that just you know sometimes you just don't show up mentally as much as you should uh, for, for a team that you're expected to beat, And that, that happens. So, uh, you know, I, I was more interested, I was interested in that very same argument this past week when Auburn went into LSU um, for that very reason. But, you know, uh, it, it, I wouldn't say it was pretty as they say, but they battled and came back on, on, on LSU and won that game in, at LSU. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, a week ago I had, I was thinking the same thing that you are, but then mm-hmm. when they showed that they, you know, could do that, I thought, well, these guys, you know, they're not the best team that they've had in recent years, but they battle hard <laughs> and, um, and they, you know, so we'll, we'll see what they can do, uh, against Georgia, but you're right. I mean, Georgia's right now, Georgia's defense is just so, uh, incredibly strong. And, and the thing that was interesting about Georgia last week against Arkansas is that uh, up until last week's game, the one area that Georgia wasn't really performing at uh, that, to where you would expect them to was their running game. They really hadn't done a whole lot running the ball, but they hadn't really had to up until that point. And then last week, man, they just ran it all over the place um, and couldn't be stopped. So, so they obviously, their running game is now caught up to the rest of their game at Georgia and they're uh, they're they're going to be a tough one for for anybody to go up against. Tommy, you're up. Okay, Mike. Uh, you know, I guess like you know, I've been you know with you guys for ever since the Hall of Fame game, and you know, and it changed the outback. Well, I think my favorite outback ball memory had to be when Joe Paterno coached Penn State at the, at, at the game, and, and you got to talk to Joe, and he's a legend up there, and that, and that's that's my favorite game up there. 
Another one was the Ohio State Buckeyes. When he came in there, one guy of our media staff late passed away. What are they doing? I said, they're spelling Ohio and dotting dot me out of the tuba. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had some we've had some great teams in there and some great games for sure. Joe Joe actually coached in that game I think uh I think five five times in our game right. uh, over the years. Right. Including the right. his last bowl game was in our game against That's Florida in right. Urban Meyer's right. last game coaching at Florida. Um right. and that was, that was a heck a of a game, game too. In fact, uh, oh. Florida uh, intercepted a pass uh, in the final seconds to stop uh, Penn State was driving down the right. field to, to take the lead or tie the game and and uh and uh, Florida intercepted the ball and and uh and secured the win but uh yeah so we we've, we've had some great coaches we've some great some great players uh I think we've we've had well over a thousand uh players who've played in our game that have gone on to the NFL um I think we have almost 200 that are currently in the NFL um, play, that played in our game in recent years, so it's uh, it's been a, it's been a, a, a lot of fun to see the different programs come through there with mm-hmm. the, with so many talented players and so many of uh, just legendary coaches who have right. coached in our our game every year, and it's uh, that's what makes it you know fun for for people to come out and see every year. Especially Mike Florida State trying to get their feet back on the ground, and uh, they played North Carolina this week. Uh, and North Carolina has uh, been a relatively solid team, and uh, they're a, a, a little surprised. They're a seventeen-point favorite. Uh, you fly. You really follow the Florida teams because you're right there, and you're with the Outback Bowl, and you, you always uh, you know take care of the home state teams. Uh, what do you, what's Florida State doing? Where do they stand? How, what's your idea there? Well, they're 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 getting better. Uh, they're they're doing better. They they certainly, you know, uh, I would say especially you know the the second half uh, of the game against Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a good team. Right. Uh, they were not expected to win that game, uh, and they came back uh, pretty strong in that game uh, and made it a good game uh, in the second half. And then last week, you know, they they you know they played pretty well. Um, uh, you know, a little bit more consistent, uh, less mistakes, less penalties. So they're getting better. I mean, you know, you know, the, you, you have a coach that came in there, uh, you know, uh, basically, you know, before, you know, before the pandemic um, hit, and uh, you know, didn't have a lot of uh, typical uh, um, situations to to be able to go out and recruit normally. Uh, to, you know, didn't have that spring ball uh, a year ago, um, or, or a normal fall. Um, you know, uh, training camp and all that kind of stuff, you know, and so, you know, he's trying to, trying to build something there, rebuild something, I should say. So, you know, it's going to take some time and, uh, you know, they, they didn't look, you know, they, they, they played strong against Notre Dame out of the box this year. Uh, uh, and again, like we were talking about earlier, you know, the next, you know, next week they're playing Jacksonville state. Nobody expected, you know, uh, them to be much of anything and they turned out to be a pretty good team. And, and and uh, you know Florida State just made too many mistakes, and so you know it, it's it's hard to you know to to get uh, uh, you know a new system uh, put in place you know with player with new players and new coach um, and maybe have everybody on the same page, and so they're they're coming along um, you know but that, I think that was important for them obviously to get that the monkey off their back last week and get the win um, and uh, you know string you know uh, you know 
a good game together. Um, you know, they beat North Carolina last year, uh, early in the year, uh, when North Carolina was ranked pretty high. Uh, that was a big upset. Um, and so it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how Florida State um, mentally does the players with the knowledge that they beat the team last year, they beat North Carolina last year, which, and North Carolina may have even been better last year than they are this year. And uh, and maybe that will give them some, that plus the win this past week. Maybe that will give them some confidence to going into the um, you know this game. I, I think the big question mark right now is you know you, they've sort of got two quarterbacks there, and uh, Travis and Milton. And uh, you know Milton came in and and rallied them in that Notre Dame game, um, but then and then started the next game. But then he's sort of gone back to travel with Travis and. And they're both different types of quarterbacks with different types of, uh, of, of uh, 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 you know, the, the way they play, the styles that they play. And, uh, you know, somewhere along the way, it sort of seems like they're going to have to settle on one or the other um, so that the team understands what kind of style they're going to play. Um, because, like I said, they're not, they're not really the same type of quarterback. They're, you know, one is much more mobile, um, you know, but – uh, the other one has a lot more experience and is a better pocket passer. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have, you know, they're, they're feeling their way through and trying to figure out, you know, uh, what direction they need, you know, they're going to go with all this. Roger, you're up next. The playoff score, one, nothing is fair to the St. Louis Cardinals after two. So, uh, but, uh, and, and, uh, and nationally wild card game. And how about if the Dodgers were to lose, they were the supposedly the greatest team <laughs> since, Smoke milk, but uh, right now they're down one nothing in the wild card game. I'll ask, I'll ask you guys: Why is it that Major League Baseball plays 182 dang games a year, <laughs> yeah. not to mention spring training and everything else? And they have playoff teams that come in and have to play one. They only get to play one game to determine whether they stay in the playoffs. I mean, that's money, 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 money at all. It, it, TV it, it, money, it, it, TV money. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. You make. Let me tell you something, Greg. You make more money when you have more games. You have more playoff games. You make more money. You don't make less right. money. I mean, I, I, you're right. Why Mike. they don't make that first series at least the best of three, so you can't just have one game, one one error, one one you know, uh, my pitcher against your pitcher, and that's it. You got. You should have at least the best of three for this first round. And I, I just. For the life of me, can't understand Major League Baseball and and why they do that. That's that's my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger, no, I I agree with you, Mike, because I would like to see it go back to 154 games, because in September uh, you don't have the attendance that you have during the summer. The kids are back in school, and then earlier in the season, like you know, the end of March when next year's season starts, March 31st. Yeah, it's cold in the in the northern climes, and uh, if they cut it back, then you could uh, still have more playoff games and make more money by uh, than uh, you would by losing what eight nine game or eight games, uh, you know, at the end of the season. In my opinion, I'll yeah, move you on. Absolutely. Well, and and a best of three series only adds a, a most at most four more games, right? Two per. Well, league. that's right, but yeah. you could even. Uh, have a best of five if you cut it back to 154 games, you know? Oh, no, I I agree. I'm just saying, you know, even if they just put the best of three, I mean, you're not talking about that many more games. And and more playoff games means more money for everybody, I'm telling you. 
Exactly. <laughs> what, uh, it's Mike, all about uh, the know, money. Don brought up a good point about Florida State. How is it that they have fallen uh, so far so quick? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I hear a lot of things. They, they, you know, supposedly they say that, uh, you know, the, that the, 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 uh, the cupboard was left a bit bare for, uh, you know, from when, uh, um, you know, the previous coach yep. left and yeah. And I don't know. I mean, that, it depends on who you talk to, right? So who, who knows, who knows, but, you know, obviously, you know, the, the fact that they've had two coaching changes in such a short period of time, you know, that, that doesn't help any, any program, you know, um, you know, you got to have some stability there. And uh, like I was just saying, it's like, you know, you, with the with quarterbacks and stuff, you got to figure out what your, what your system is, what your plans are and what your offense you're going to run. And, and, and so everybody can sort of get on the same page on it. But, um, you know, it, it's tough when you, you know, the, they made, you know, they, they obviously uh, brought in uh, Willie Taggart and then, and then got rid of him so quickly and then had to, sort of start all over again. Uh, so, you know, and so, I mean, some of these, I, I'm not really sure, but some of these, you know, players may, may have been there for three different coaches or something. That's, that's just crazy. So, um, you know, that probably doesn't help, uh, help the situation. And then again, the pandemic uh, being in the middle of that, you know, I, I don't, uh, it'd be, it'd be interesting. Maybe you guys can tell me, but um, you know, considering, you know, with, with, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what teams, that had good coaching uh, or had coaching changes um, right on the front end of that, of the pandemic and, and everything uh, had, uh, you know, how, you know, how successful the most of those teams are doing right now, because like I said, that really threw a wrench into everything for everybody, of course, but even more so for a new coach, you, you know, I mean, I mean, imagine if you just came in you got a coaching job in, in December of 1999 and uh, and then um, you know within a few months um, of your you know you don't have a much much time to, to put together a good signing class. Then you go into a COVID year where you have no spring ball, uh, a very little in the way of uh, preseason. Um, you know, and and maybe your season itself got got interrupted or, or shortened from what it should should you know what what it normally be because of cancellation of games or whatever or a short, shortened season, and then you're still in a pandemic when you're trying to recruit, you know, at the end of that, uh, that you know, for the next class, you know. And so I, I just think that, uh, you know, that, that's just, just been a huge handicap, but especially for, for programs that whose, you know, coaching staffs were in the middle of a transition already. And, uh, and, and, and that certainly was the case with Florida State and, and even more so because, you know, the previous coach had only been there a couple of years. And so again, you know, they're starting over for the second time in, in a matter of a handful of years uh, during a pandemic. So uh, I, you know, that's if I, you know, just sitting on the outside as a football fan, I could see that would be uh, immensely difficult. Mike, thank you very, very much. As always, we'll get together again and uh, always talk college football, always look forward to <laughs> The Outback Bowl and and all your all your information as we have the show each each and every week. So thank you very very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Mike. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You have a great week. Enjoy the the weekend of of college football and playoffs baseball. Yes. Thanks, Mike.
Well, we're going we're gonna to go in a little different direction. Normally, we talk with our PGA professional and Doug Hamilton, but there's a question mm-hmm. I want to ask you, Doug, and maybe you, uh, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, I just heard it on the news earlier tonight that Theo Epstein uh, and the news mm-hmm. supposedly came out of Baltimore. So maybe you know a little bit more that he has mm-hmm. turned down the New York Mets as a possibility of being their president and leading that team out of the wilderness. So it, they said it came out of Baltimore. I don't know whether you know any more about it than we do. No, I um, I, I did not hear anything. I, I've been, um, you know, uh, mired in, you know, the everyday grind of, you know, trying to look for head covers and um, make tea time <laughs> for people here. So I'm, you know, stuck behind the desk and, um, you know, one of the guys that works for me is a big fan of, like, uh, soccer. So, I mean, it's a fate worse than death to have TV on and have him watching, <laughs> you know, European <laughs> soccer. I mean, I would, I would rather watch figure skating, I think, than that. But, uh, you know, to say the least, or maybe synchronized swimming, I think, is probably a little bit more exciting, <laughs> you know. Um, but, no, I, I, I don't. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that the Orioles can get themselves together here with, with uh, Elias and um, – you know, likely. I actually didn't pay attention. They're either the first or second overall draft pick. I know they were neck and neck with uh, Arizona down the stretch here for the worst team in baseball. So, I'm, you know, um, I guess we should start scouting college, you know, baseball players to figure out, you know, which guy we're going to take first next year. Well, Harbaugh, and I know that's where your heart lies with the Ravens. Uh, Harbaugh did it again. Yeah. Well, you know what, the the Broncos are sneaky. I mean, I know that a lot of people said that they hadn't really played anybody, but they were um you know, they were what, they're three and one now, so I mean they were they were three and oh and they were a good football team. Um, you know, I think you know, obviously Teddy Bridgewater going down made a difference in uh how they ran their offense and, and some of those uh things. Um their defense is, is really good. Um you know, they they're battling their share of injuries with uh, with the, the receiver Judy and and um, and some guys that have you know been hurt, um, but to go to to go to Denver and, and, and pull out a win and um, do what they had to do to get it, um, you know, no more no more substantial injuries, you know, and I hope that uh, help is on the way with uh, some of the players uh, coming back from either COVID or injured reserve. Rashad Bateman, their first round draft, one of their first round draft picks is is due to make his debut here soon. Um, Ronnie Stanley's been kind of banged up. I'm hopeful that he can, you know, get back in the lineup. Um, some other guys, you know, that, that have uh, had an issue. Um, Jimmy Smith came back and, and played, you know, okay. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of NFL uh, news, you know, this morning I saw uh, the, the Cowboys uh, let go of Jalen Smith. It took him five minutes to sign with the Packers. And then uh, the Patriots got rid of, um, Stephon Gilmore, who uh, right. again five, five minutes later signed with uh, Carolina, which Carolina, I'm here to tell you, is, is for real. Um, you know that guy Matt Rule obviously um, has has made a, a career as a as a, a football coach, turning programs around. He, he did it with Temple, he did it with Baylor. Um, you know, so he's he's for real. Apparently, I mean, you know, this uh, Carolina Panthers football team, um, I think is, you know legit you know what i mean they're if christian mccaffrey christian mccaffrey comes back healthy sam donald's been playing uh wonderfully their defense is just incredible if, if gilmore can add to that i tell you what they're they're a contender man i agree that so. we've talked about that the last couple of weeks because we saw a rule when he was at temple uh 
And then, of course, as you mentioned, uh, went to Texas yeah. A&M and their program was really down. I went, I'm sorry, Baylor went to Baylor. Their Baylor, program yeah. was really down. And he resurrected it. And uh, yeah. Roger, you're up. Well, yeah, I totally agree with you, uh, Doug, about uh, about uh, him and uh, about Matt Rule. And I, I, I mentioned earlier, I was shocked. Patriots got rid of Gilmore and the Panthers yeah. picked them up so quick. As quickly as they did, and I think the Panthers are a team to be reckoned with in the mm-hmm. NFC South. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, every year you, you know, break training camp and you wonder who's going to be some of your surprise uh, teams that, you know, when 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 they, uh, you know, leave the practice field, they they know what they have, but not no one else does. You know, so. That's that's a pretty solid feeling, uh, knowing that you're a pretty good football team, but no one else knows it. And then you go out on the field and you prove it. Um, you know, and there's there's there have been a couple of those. You know, I mean, historically, when I mean, you look at 32 teams that break training camp, I would say eight of them legit, legitimately don't have a chance, no matter what happens. You know, and we've seen that with uh, the Jets, the Giants, the Jaguars. You know, there's there's different teams that just can't. You know, whether it's from injuries or whether it's from, you know, COVID or, or just not having enough talent on their on their squad, they need more time to uh, develop players or, or have high draft picks to do so. Um, you know, the NFL is about, you know, having a good quarterback and, and you know, it's a quarterback-driven league. And, and you look at some of these teams that, that don't play particularly well, it's, okay, well, they have a rookie quarterback. He's not ready yet. Or they don't have a good quarterback and they're looking for one. Or you know, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers who have been historically good and, you know, this year Ben Roethlisberger is kind of showing his age. Um, you know, Matt Ryan is another one who's, you know, a Hall of Famer, but unfortunately, you know, it's, you know, time catches up with, with some of these individuals. Um, you know, you look at the, the top tier of, of teams that are just, you know, flat out good, um, that no matter what they do, I mean, you know, they're going to win football games, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots, I mean, the, the Buccaneers, um, you know, and then you have your middle tier of eight teams that that can go either way. They could possibly make the playoffs and do some damage. So, you know, it's it's interesting to watch from week to week. And, and some of these, uh, you know, teams that that play well or or don't. You know, the the Saints are a mercurial team. Um, you know, if, if Drew Brees was still the quarterback of the Saints, would they be better than they are now? Um, you know, the Raiders started Probably. out, you know, pretty well. I mean, the the Chargers and Justin Herbert is just a fabulous quarterback. Um, I, I loved him coming out of college and, and how good he was. I thought he was the best quarterback in that respective draft in terms of his his mechanics and how he threw the football. And, um, you know, the Bengals are an improved team. The Browns are still a good team. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot, a lot of work left uh, to do when it comes to uh, the schedule and, and, and uh, all the injuries that affect that and, and, and how that all plays out. Uh, so it's, very exciting to watch, to watch uh, week to week. Um, I tell you, last night I was watching the Yankees Red Sox. Man, what a, what a good game that was! Um, I loved me some playoff baseball, and um, you know I thought the turning point in that game was Aaron Judge getting thrown out at home plate uh, when Stanton hit that ball off the the Green Monster. So, um, you know, I'm not going to shed a tear for the Yankees and. Um, I, I think they're they rank right up there with uh, with the Steelers and, and even Duke as teams that I think you know I, I hate the most. Um, it was nice to see the Red Sox beat them. Congratulations to them. 
Yeah, yeah, and that play at the plate before I get to Tommy, uh, you know, to me, and I listened to all the post-game interviews and so forth, they never once, you know, brought it up. I could see the third base. He's done it a couple of times during the course of the season. Yeah. had a guy thrown out by a lot at home plate. Well, and uh, I could see that they were ahead three to one, and yeah. uh, then go ahead and send them. But when you're down well, three to one, you can't afford to take a chance on somebody being you know, thrown out. Don, that was a turning point in the game. You know, he's uh, he's only going to be absolutely. he's only going to be criticized. He's only going to be criticized if he's wrong, and he was wrong. So, um, you know, if, if yeah, for some they, reason they justified it, all the post game things they justified it. They well, you know, he. If you looked at what happened in, in the Boston half of the inning, then the third base coach held him up, but he didn't stop. He came in and scored standing up. You know, uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't see any way you could, you could justify it if they're ahead three to one. Yeah, to me, you can't justify having a guy thrown out by five feet at the plate. Well, I don't care how great only, the throw is going to be. Well, only because he was thrown out. I mean, look at the end of the day. You know the the relay itself wasn't really that impressive because the the outfielder one hopped uh, the intermediate cutoff guy. The intermediate cutoff guy, you know, made a good throw to home plate. The 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 catcher uh, was yeah, able to handle throw. the throw. He was able to handle the throw and 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 make an applicable tag to the guy you know sliding in there. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong from point A to point F. You know what I mean? So oh, they no they question. did the right thing. They they got it right, and that was a chance, I suppose, that he was willing to uh, to risk. You can look at that and say that that was the wrong call, but it you know bang bang. You know what? Um, oh, that wasn't know, whoa, whoa, that wasn't bang bang. That was, that was not even close to bang bang. I mean, he was well, out. The, uh, no, it wasn't quite as it wasn't quite as uh, as obvious as you're making it. I think that. Uh, the, the five ball feet. That, five feet. He was five well, feet from the play when the catcher had the ball. You know, Aaron Judge tried to make a a very good slide in there in terms of his yes, hand he position. Did. I but agree. He tried to slide his left hand in and touch the plate and if, stay away. But if you, if he you had no chance. No chance. Even if you watch the slow mo, it's closer than you think it is. And it was, it was a, it was, it was a good play. I'll, I'll give that to him. But I, I can't sit here and say that that that. Co- I mean, look. If you do the mathematics, the coach was wrong because you have second and third with one out. That's okay? right. And, and that's, 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 the, the that's the main point right there. That's, that's what you can hang your hat on. So anything other than right. that. And they is, justified it by saying that Gallo was coming up next. And correct. Gallo has, of all the players with bringing a guy home from third base during the course of the well, year with less than two outs, he's the worst in the American League. So they tried to justify well, it by saying, if somebody else other you know, than Gallo was there, he probably wouldn't have sent him. I don't buy that. Well, crap. I mean, that 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 guy's either going to hit a he's going to hit a ball, you know, from home plate to Rhode Island, or he's going to strike out, or perhaps <laughs> he hits a ball. He hits a ball in the air that someone catches it. Yeah, what did he strike out? 200, 212 times or something. He's led the league, lot. I think, in strikeouts. A third. A third well, of let the me time, get Tommy right? in here. He hadn't said anything yeah. for a while. Tommy, go ahead. <laughs> he's gone, Don. Oh, he's gone, Roger. Yeah. The uh, well, what's what's coming up in the world of golf this weekend, guys? Yeah. How about um, the match? How about the match out in Vegas? <laughs> yeah, twelve holder. Yeah, it's the uh, Shambow and Kepka. I guess they. Uh, they, they, they how about Kepka. that? Are they capitalizing on the publicity of the feud? Between, I mean. 
Unbelievable. Yeah. They're, they're going to sign him well, up. They're going to make a ton of money. And they're, sure. And they're, oh, yeah, they hate each other. Well, I mean, you know, shit on it. I mean, I'd, I'd love to pick me an enemy and, and have a feud with him and then go capitalize on it and make, you know, several million dollars, you know, playing golf Absolutely. against him. Absolutely. I mean, why Absolutely. wouldn't you? I mean, that's, that's beautiful. Um, you know, but <laughs> it certainly day, is. I, you know what? We, what we really don't know is how much of a feud is there really? You know what I mean? Was there something that was cross-said or was it was a – uh, a small spat. I mean, what, what really, what really happened? I mean, look, those those guys were in the same room at the Ryder Cup. You know what I mean? So right. I mean, how how bad how bad could it have possibly been? You know, and at the end of the day, I mean, we we've all come across people, and I, I know I did it at Hayfield's Country Club for 16 years. I worked with an individual that I absolutely did not like, and. You know, I mean, look, I mean, you have to be professional in a sense to say, look, there's a common goal, and unfortunately this person's a part of it, and I need to do what I need to do to make this work. And even though I don't like them, we're not going to go out and have a beer afterwards. Well, by golly, we can still, you know, come together for this common goal. I mean, is we don't, we don't know where any of that stands with regard to their actual relationship and, and how that plays out, you know, uh, because behind closed doors, you know, that's that's a different scenario. So. Well, it's the same thing with Bill Belichick and Brady. I mean, they would they tried yeah. to make this and this and this, and Brady came out with a big article today saying, I, "There's only one team I really worry about beating, and that's the Giants. I don't worry about beating, right. <laughs> beating the Patriots." Right. So uh, you well, know, they, I mean, they build all this stuff up to be, you know, and it's it's crazy. I mean, sure. it, look at Belichick came right the out year. after the game and, and went right up to, to Brady, and, and I'm assuming he just crat- congratulated him and turned around to the left. Mm-hmm. But I think it's crazy. Well, listen, look at the BS between, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and the head coach of the Packers. Um, you know, how, how much of that was, was true or not true or why he held out or why he did what he did. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, like I said, I mean, there's there's plenty of people that you've run across in your life, whether they were teammates or people that you worked with or people that you worked for that you didn't agree with, didn't like, didn't whatever, you know, but at the end of the day, that's, you know, you just, you got to figure out how to, how to move forward, uh, you know, Make it work. I, mean, I don't, I don't have to like it. I just have to do it. You know, that's the way it works. You know what the problem <laughs> is there, Doug, in my opinion? that the Packers did not talk to Aaron Rodgers when they were going to draft the quarterback. The, the, yeah. the 49ers did that, and you didn't have any mm-hmm. repercussions. And I think the comment that was made the other day, uh, the other day during the game is, is not out of the question. He may, right. uh, Aaron Rodgers may be, that when he retires, the next general manager of the Packers, if he wants to do that. Because well, you got to remember, the Packers are a little different uh, organization because you've sure. got stockholders, okay. Right. And if if the board does not like the uh, the, uh, the the president who is an employee, mm-hmm. not the owner, they can right. remove him, okay. Sure. It's a totally different operation sure. with the Packers. And, well, and, and everything it, about it, that, Roger, he's married to a Hollywood star out there. I don't think he's going to want to stay in Green Bay uh, yeah. as a general manager. I think he's going to leave, want to be out on the West Coast and uh, uh, with his new bride. No, Aaron Rodgers isn't married. No. Is he? Well, the, I didn't think he was married. I, no, he's engaged. I, I, he I, I think oh, he, he is, is married. I think he just got married. 
I may be wrong, but I thought he married that girl that uh, he was having having well, all the, the. You know, Roger. To your point, I mean, look, the, the year they they took uh, the quarterback uh, was it Jordan Love or whatever his name is. Um, That's it. You know, in addition, well, in in addition to you know multiple other draft picks that they picked. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers was upset because he he felt like they wasted draft picks uh, in areas that they they weren't. Really well, necessary. That could, that could be too. Yeah, that could you be. You know, right. I mean, I right. mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it, it boils down to winning. You know, and, and and these guys have an understanding in their locker room of of skill positions and players that they need, and they they have these, you know, whatever general managers, scouts, or whatever that that go in a different direction. I mean, why why in the world would you waste a, a draft pick on on Jordan Love when? You know, you had other needs. Like to me, that just doesn't make sense. You know, that's just that's just right. poor man poor management of, you know, of the team itself. I mean, golly days. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. But I mean, he wasn't wrong. You know, in his dispute. So. Oh, I agree. Well, I guess that's it. The tick tick, John. Right? Tick tock. Right. Yeah. We're out of time. I didn't hear Frank. I didn't hear Frank say yeah, so. Frank We're out of time, Frank. <laughs> yes, oh, sir. Okay. Doug, thank you very, very much. You get a chance to talk about the end of the season down at your club, but we'll get to that next week. Thank you so much. Roger, good job. Tommy, I'm sorry we lost you there somewhere along the line. And Frank, good good work on the dials. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, man. Right on. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please make sure you let them know that you know they're there. It's very important at this time. There's so many people <clears throat> out to do harm to everybody, and it seems to be they'd be taking it out on the, those in uniform. So please uh, show some support to those people. These programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Badinger, <clears throat> Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman David Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, uh, Officer Charlie, uh, sorry, Sergeant uh, Charlie Condit, Carver Springs Police Department. <clears throat> My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly in your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Jesus. 